Um, <clears throat> this little pedestal is, is not my idea. Uh, it's Jimmy's. Um, um, since I'm such a much taller man than he. Um, but I, I don't know whether this helps. But, um, okay. Uh, then, 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 then actually it was really my idea. Uh, <clears throat> um, no. All right. Um, guys, I, I'm turning over a new leaf tonight. Um, uh, babe, you got my glasses, uh, or gosh, um, thank you, dear, for better or for worse. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm turning over a new leaf tonight. I'm, I'm going to be nicer. Um, I, I figured that the, the section of scripture that we're in <clears throat> is so fiery in its rhetoric that I don't need to add any more fire to it. Um, if you were here last week, um, verses 8 and 9 are, are just, um, are, are pretty much some of the, the rawest uh, um, in, in the New Testament that I know of, where Paul basically just denounces, places a curse on people. Um, and so tonight, we, we, I'm going to read those two verses to you because they're really kind of connected to verse 10. Verse 10 is what we're going to look at tonight, but let me read verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Verse 10 is, is uh, the subject of our examination tonight, guys. Um, I, I really don't think you need me to explain what verse 10 says. It's, it's, pretty, um, it's, it's pretty clear, I think, um, in essence, if I could paraphrase, it is simply uh, based on what you just heard me say in verses 8 and 9. Um, what, what, do you, um, what do I sound like to you? And do I sound like somebody that's eager to please a man, or do I, uh, do I sound like somebody that's trying to please God? Um, <clears throat> I mean, what say ye? I mean, what do you think? I mean, uh, you read those verses 8 and 9, and what do you think? What kind, of guy, what kind of guy you got here? Somebody that's concerned about the affirmations and the approval of man? So I, I, I really don't, you don't need me to explain that to you very much, but something that might be a role I could play tonight is um, to discuss with you this, this whole idea of pleasing men. Um, because really it's kind of at the heartbeat of this whole, um, this whole message of the book of Galatians because Paul was taking so much flack for uh, uh, the stance that he took. Um, and um, pleasing men is, is such a, um, it's such a horrible temptation. It's such a, it's such a monumental temptation, especially for people like me, like for, for preachers. Um, I, you know, I want to be loved just as badly as any of you want to be loved. But um, to, to have... Um, 
to have men honor you is, is pretty much a, an antithesis to the gospel because the gospel is saying that to embrace it, that you've got to admit that you're nothing, and then men turn around and praise you, and you're somewhat convinced that you're something. Um, and, and the danger of this men-pleasing thing really increases when I, when I get to the place, or you get to the place, where you think that you ought to be honored by men. And then it even gets worse when I come to the conclusion that I deserve to be honored by men. Um, guys, people who love men's praise are also the same people who hate um, their ridicule, their censure. Um, their, um, their rejection, their, their disapproval. So the, the, the issue becomes, um, I guess, I guess the issue when it comes in this man-pleasing thing is, who do I fear? Or if I could say it nicer, because then, you know, I'm going to be nicer. Um, whose, whose smile matters to me? You know, there's a section in the in the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's chapter six. Uh, Paul has, uh, I mean, it's Paul. Jesus has just, uh, you know, given us the Beatitudes and and that, that wonderful passage of Scripture. But in chapter six, he he talks about uh, the exercise uh, the exercise of one's religion. That is exercising this thing that you call your relationship. And and he and he mentions three three. Uh, he gives you three examples. There's the example of praying. There's the example of giving. And then there's the example of um, uh, fasting. And in all three instances, he says the same thing. Don't do any of those things to be seen to men. I mean, he says that in all, in, in all three examples. He says uh, very similar things in all three. And he says, don't do it to be seen to men. Because if you stand on a street corner and you want to announce to people how generous you are, then, uh, then there's your reward. It's right there. All those grins that you're getting from those people out there, that's it. That's all you're going to get. That's all you got. Because that's that's all that's all that's going you're going to get is, is is their 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 smile. But when you do those things, do them in secret. In all three cases, he says, do them in secret because I don't want you to be doing things so that you can get people to smile at you. You know, um, guys, Paul is not quite finished with his fiery rhetoric in this section. We're going to get past it. Soon, I don't know exactly when, but we'll get past it. But there's a few more things that he wants to say. And, and the, 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 the one thing that he wants to say um, in this verse, in verse 10, is, um, um, do you really think that what I'm saying is, is, is seeking man's favor? I mean, I just told them that they could go to hell. Do you really think that, that I'm after their, uh, uh, their approval? Uh, you know, very frankly, if I wanted their approval, I know how to get that. I know how to get their approval. All I've got to do is flatter them. All I've got to do is just tell them what they want to hear. Um, all you've got to do is just tell them that, you know, that Jesus is a way. Or um, tell, them that, tell them that all religions are equal. The Pope says that. 
He says you can be a Muslim or a Buddhist or anything, and you can still get to the same place that a Christian gets. Um, they're doing that right here in the city of Memphis, downtown at a, an Episcopalian church. Calvary Episcopal. Maybe you got the insert in your papers too. The insert that announced the Linton preaching series, the Linton lecture series. I threw mine away because it caused too much ire every time I read it. But didn't you get it in the paper or do you not take the paper? But it's in there. It was, it was all nicely, slickly done and, you know, they serve waffles. And you can go here, you know, it starts today. Today's Ash Wednesday, you know. Lent starts today. And so inside the, 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 the brochure for the Lenten Lecture Series, it gives you a list of the speakers. I think I said this to you last year. And among the list of speakers is a Jewish rabbi. <clears throat> I'm going to be nicer. Tell me. Just explain to me. Would somebody try to explain to me what a Jewish rabbi is doing speaking at an ostensibly Christian gathering? Could you explain that to me? I mean, I, what rational... Re, how can you... How can you... I guess you could explain it this way. It pleases men. By the way, there's another lecturer in that series. The author of this book. I was asked to read this book by a Jewish rabbi. I got it, and I read it, and very frankly, I enjoyed it. Because um, it certainly tells you what Judaism thinks of you. And your, your, um, your erroneous ways. Um, the misunderstood Jew, Dr. Amy Jill Levine, she teaches at Vanderbilt. She's in the lecture series. She's in the lecture series, ladies and gentlemen, that is being sponsored by what historically, at least, was a Christian church. I'm not going to read you a lot of this. I don't have to. I'll read you two sentences. Would you like to hear what this author... By the way, I'm sure this author is a very nice woman. I'm trying to be nicer. I'm sure she's a sweet person. I, I'd have, I mean, I'd love to play tennis with her. I'm sure. I'm attacking what she says. Would you like to hear a line or two? Um, for Jews... Claims of Jesus' divine sonship. Mm, who says that? Mm, you evangelicals. Claims of Jesus' divine sonship and fulfillment of the Messianic Old Testament prophecies are false. Those claims, ladies and gentlemen, that you make about Jesus being the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and being the divine son, those are all false. I'll read you just one more sentence. No, two more sentences. For Jews, how about this? For Jews, Jesus is unnecessary or redundancy. He is not needed to save from sin or from death. Since Judaism proclaims a deity ready to forgive repentant sinners, and since it asserts that all Israel has a share in the world to come. By the way, you know where that was found? That's not found in the Old Testament. That's found in the Mishnah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
this dear woman has every right in the world to write this book and promote that position. She is to be applauded for her scholarship. I'm sure she's, she's, I'm sure she's a quite a fine scholar. She's no New Testament scholar. I can, I can assure you that. Um, which she addresses several times in here. Not the fact that she's not a scholar, but she addresses the New Testament in here several times. And she doesn't know what she's talking about. But she has every right in the world. Every right in the world to write this book and promote those positions. Every right. And, and, and I will fight for her rights to write this book. I'm just asking you this. A woman who believes that Jesus is a redundancy and unnecessary and is not needed to save anybody from their sin. Could you explain to me why she got invited to speak at an observance that is completely and distinctly born out of Christendom? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't sacrifice anything for Lent. I mean, you can, it's a fine thing. I, I'm not, I'm not down on that. You, you know, you will put up ashes on your forehead, go right ahead. That's all fine. All I'm asking you is Lent is something that was born in Christendom. What is this woman doing there? How did she get invited? What kind of mental processes or gymnastics do you have to perform? To justify putting this before or in a Christian church that is supposed to be preaching on something that has historically Christian roots. Could you explain that to me? I'm not going to get agitated. I just want somebody to give me reasons. Um, the only reason that I can come up with is because the culture approves of that. Just tell them that Jesus is a way, and you can tell them that all, the, all religions are equal, and that will draw a crowd. No, I don't even, I don't even know to draw a crowd. The, the message is so effete or feckless, to quote uh, John McCain. Um, I, I mean, that message won't draw anybody. The waffles might. But that message is, 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 it's emasculated. There's nothing that will help you in it. Nothing. But it, when you hold positions like the ones that I hold, then I am intolerant, I'm a bigot, and I'm narrow-minded. All I want to know is, how did someone who absolutely disdains the Jesus that you and I worship, how did she get invited to a Christian observance? I'm not trying to be narrow-minded or bigoted or, or monstrous or, or intolerant. I just want, I want somebody to explain the, the reason behind that. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is no reason. It's insane. It's utter insanity. And, and everybody's right, nobody's wrong, and there you get applauded. 
that will please men. But um, Paul says here in verse 10 that if you choose to do that, you're no pleaser of God's. Uh, you know, you, 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 no one can serve two masters. Those are mutually exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. You serve one, you please one, you displease the other. If you displease the other, you please the other. So whose smile matters to you? Guys, let me, let me mention four quick little things that I think are somewhat the conclusions of just as far as we've gotten in these ten verses. And, and I can do this rather hurriedly. First of all, this is something that is a conclusion, and that is there's only one gospel. Um, you know, remember that big point that I made about uk alu, that, that Greek phrase? Um, there's not several ways to God, um, and, that, and it's not something that changes over time. Um, there is, uh, which he says in verse 7, which is not another, that is, there is no other. There's only one. That's a conclusion. Um, secondly, the, the, the only gospel that's available to us is a gospel of pure grace. Um, it is, it is a, a gospel of God's free, unmerited favor towards undeserving, guilty sinners. Um, you don't get to contribute to it. And once you do, or try to, you ruin it. You don't contribute to it. Not your baptism, not your confirmation class, um, not your giving. It's pure grace. Um, and it's unshackled by any kind of human contribution. But another thing that I think is somewhat, I guess you could call it a con- conclusion, is that the Bible reserves its strongest language, not for murderers, not for adulterers, not for homosexuals. It reserves its, mo- its severest language for those who propagate religious error. John the Baptist uses the term viper, but so does Jesus. He also uses the term serpent. Jesus talks about hypocrites. He must use that term a dozen times, maybe more. He talks about whitewashed sepulchers. Um, but all of those terms are directed, they're aimed... Not so much at individuals, but at teachers. Like this. Um, it's, his words are not so much aimed in, the, in, the, in this epistle to um, individual Galatians as much as they are aimed at teachers who propagate falsehood. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, heresy is very serious business. And the, the severest language of the entire New Testament is reserved for those who promote it. It's the words that Jesus uses that are, that are just terrifying. He called me a viper. He called me a whitewashed sepulcher. He does. He does. He calls those who propagate religious error, th- th- those kinds of he uses those kinds of terms. Um, so that's something that, that I think is a, is a conclusion of this section. That is, that it, 
the, the Bible reserves its most severe language for, for those who um, undermine um, a singular, pristine gospel of grace. And, and then fourthly, I would say um, that maybe this is not a conclusion, maybe just an observation on my part, but people, um, people tend to love the showy. They tend to love the things that, that make them look good. Whatever, whatever is helpful to my self-esteem, whatever is helpful to my pride, oh, give me an opportunity to boast. People love that. Um, the other gospel, which is really not another gospel, as Paul says in verse 7, um, that other thing flatters men. That's what it means to be a man pleaser, a man pleaser ladies and gentlemen. Flattering them. And I defy you, ladies and gentlemen, I defy you to show me a single syllable in this book that extols man. I defy you. The book says that we're valued, but never do you get anything about extolling the goodness of man. In fact, here's what you do get. Um, If you've got a Bible close to you or some kind of musical device, um, turn to um, Romans 3. And let me, let me show you what it does say. Um, it never flatters us, ladies and gentlemen. It never flatters us. Here's what it says. It says, um, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. Okay, 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 okay. I, I get that. Um, you know, we, you, we all say nobody's perfect, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, you know, we're not very smart. So, we, no, we don't understand. It's very kind of, kind of complicated. And, and, um, and, yeah, I understand that there's none good, no, not one. I got that. But then you come to this next statement. There's none who seeks after God. Have you ever read that and, think, and thought, well, you know what? <laughs> that, that's a bit overstated. You know, that, you know, that's a bit overreached by Paul, I think. You know, because um, I, 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 there seems to me that there's a lot of people who, who really do seek. I mean, we got a whole, we got a whole mindset about seekers and, you know, how to reach them and all that business. And, you know, and, and um, but there's a lot of people that seem to, want spiritual stuff. Well, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, deny you that. But, but here's what the Apostle Paul is talking about, ladies and gentlemen. What he is, what he is suggesting is that men left to, him, left to themselves they will never seek this God. Oh, they, 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 they might seek something, but they'll never seek this God. You know, there, there are a lot of concepts of God out there that are fairly attractive. Um, for instance, people love to advocate um, right from wrong. But holiness is utterly petrifying to them. Tell them about the God who invites an opposed opponent of the gospel to the Christian church to speak. Tell them about that God, and they'll, they'll seek him. 
But this one, they have to remake or they have to run from. They don't want this unvarnished, raw God. They want the, they want the pretty-fied one, the happy-fied one. So, ladies and gentlemen, indeed, the Apostle Paul is correct. There is none that seeketh after God. A gospel that flatters man is foreign to this book. Um, In the Christian gospel, ladies and gentlemen, God is everything and man is nothing. In that other gospel, um, all the glory gets split between the two. (laughs) You know, God gets some and man gets some. But not in this one. Not in this one, folks. This is... This salvation belongs to the Lord. And in no way does it belong to you. Um, Nobody would invent this. Anybody in his right mind would, would choose that other one because it's so much more... There's so much more fan approval attached to it. To hold on to this one, you're open to all kinds of charges of how narrow-minded and bigoted you are. You know, ladies and gentlemen, to to call sin a mistake... Or sowing your wild oats. Instead of calling it a crime against divine holiness. If you call it a mistake, you can get a following. There'll be an audience to tell you how how really good you are. But wonder of wonders, ladies and gentlemen, I can't find a word about that in here. Not a word. All I can find is there's none righteous, none at one. There's none that understand. There's none that seeks seeks after God. You know, guys, um, to tell people that to deal with their sin, all they got to do is go in this little booth. And by the time that you walk out of that little booth, you can be absolved of your sin if you will say a certain phrase a minimum number of times. To tell them that, you get a worldwide following. To tell them that their sin, that the wages of their sin is death. Not so much. You know, I, I heard a, I, I read a Spurgeon's uh, story just recently, and I, I thought it was, <laughs> um, I thought it was kind of cute, but um, I, mean, I don't think he was telling it because it was cute, but he was telling it, it was the true story, and he had a, a man come up to him and, um, at his church in London in, you know, late 19th century, and the man was telling him that he was leaving 
the Christian faith, and he was going to become a Mormon. And so Spurgeon said, well, why? Why Why are you leaving? uh, Why are you going to become a Mormon? And um, the man said, uh, without a second's hesitation, he says, polygamy. Um, he, and he went on to say that he he wanted four wives, not one. Um, it wasn't conviction. It wasn't it wasn't truth. Um, it was polygamy that got him. Now, with apologies and due all due respect to the female members of this audience, um, I can see a certain sanity and that that kind of reasoning i mean can't you men <laughs> ron's been divorced three times um <laughs> that's just a joke um i mean uh, I, I, there's an upside you know I, you know i'm sure there's a downside too ron i mean have you ever have you ever seen the price of Obaji skin cream <laughs> for four women instead of just one? Um, um, <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's a downside, I'm, I'm sure. Um, you don't know what Obaji is? Well, I didn't know what a quarter zip was either. Uh, a quarter. Okay. <laughs> that, that's enough, is it, Sharon? <laughs> Oh, there I did it again. <laughs> well, I mean, but, but the point is, I'm leaving. I'm going to become a Mormon because of the advantages of polygamy. Okay, you can laugh at, you know, and what fool just said that about a baji. Okay, but, but, the, but the point, ladies and gentlemen, you can see. If you tell me. I'm not going to get agitated. I'm going to be nicer. You tell me that I can do whatever I want to do and I've got all kinds of freedoms to do whatever I want to do. And you can attract a crowd with that. Just open those floodgates and tell them you can have four wives or 40 wives or four sins or 40 sins. It doesn't matter. That's a message, ladies and gentlemen, that is that really pleases the crowd. Um, But then you have to face a statement like this. For do I now persuade men or God? Or Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, you read it, ladies and gentlemen, You read and see what it says. It says, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Guys, um, two years ago, I think, um, I think it was two years ago, um, we, um, let me change that pronoun. I a Jewish rabbi was invited to speak here at Grace Evan. Did you know that? Um, 
it was in a um, an event that Gracie Van did not sponsor. It was a high school baccalaureate. And in that high school baccalaureate, a Jewish rabbi was asked to speak. And um, somewhere in the course of that speaking, uh, and I forget who it was. I think it was Brent. No, Aaron called, but I think Brent got the phone call. Uh, Aaron was in the, the sound booth, and Aaron called Brent and said, see there, she's trying to correct me. See there? She's mad because about the Abaji comment. Uh, <laughs> uh, it'll be a long night. Um, <laughs> but um, Aaron called Brent and said, Brent, you better get down here. Now, we had nothing to do. By the way, that's changed since that event. We do now uh, get to approve all baccalaureate speakers. We went through the roof because... A man who rails against the gospel of Jesus Christ stood behind that pulpit. He was very winsome. He didn't didn't attack Christianity, but the, the very idea that an opponent of the gospel would be allowed to occupy space that has been devoted to the singular purpose of honoring and worshiping the triune God, was unthinkable for us. So we contacted the people across the street. We had a big meeting with the principal, and, you know, they came over and said, we don't want to lose this venue, so what do we have to do? We said, okay, you got to submit your names to us before you can invite them so that we can approve who's up there and in that pulpit. But, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of the spectrum, now you tell me, Who's trying to please men? Because if I desire, or this church desires, to please men, mm, mm, that's, that's messy. I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Can't do them both, folks. I'll stop where I started. Tell me. It's pretty simple. Whose smile matters to you? Our Father, I I do thank you for the beauty of your word, um, a book that tells us the truth about who we are and about who you are, a book that tells us... um, the good news, but not until we've understood the bad news. The bad news about our, our own performance, the bad news about our own souls, the bad news about our, about our love of sin, and the bad news that your eyes are too holy to even look upon our iniquity. And then it goes on to tell us the good news, that everything that you demand of us, you've provided for us in Christ Jesus. That the life that we should have lived, but we didn't, and the death that we should have died but couldn't has been done for us on our behalf by the, by the immensely beautiful Jesus Christ who we consider to be God in flesh. Not redundant, not unnecessary, 
but the very the very center of of all necessity when it comes to having our sin forgiven and being reconciled to you. Father, um, ultimately, it seems to me that a message that says that um, that there's all these ways to get to you is oh so terribly cruel because it is robbing men of the one hope they have, a hope found in Christ and Christ alone. So, Father, um, though there be those who think our position, my position, perhaps, um, narrow-minded and bigoted and um, mean-spirited, Lord, um, would you remind us that the severest words that you have in the Bible are reserved for those who who tamper with the beauty of this gospel. And would you use Grace of Anne and other, the, count, uh, the numerous churches around here like Grace of Anne who are trying to promote Christ, Christ and him crucified. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.